Okay. Um, let's see. We are recording and I probably need to figure out how I want to start this. Hey, Garrick, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you doing? How's, how's Sweden? Cold? Dude. Yeah, unfortunately, the cold, the, the clouds set in today. It's been sunny for the last couple of days. This is the time of year when it can either uh, be so cold you need to put back on a winter jacket or you wear shorts. Yeah. It's one of, one of the two. Yeah, it's, I think it's Europe. I mean, Spain, uh, you can still get pretty chilly weather in, uh, you know, April or May. We're pretty, we're, the whole continent is pretty far north. Yeah, uh, it's, that's true. It's, it's chilly. That's true. But when you think of Spain, you usually think of kind of dry hot weather but i guess where you live you guys actually get pretty cool weather as well yeah we get i mean we get we get cold weather uh but we, it's probably it's probably a little bit like texas you know you can have some some very cold winters sometimes but then you can also have very warm winters and then you got kind of a changing rotating uh you know from one day to the next it can be different but but summers you, you know i you know i grew up in houston right we didn't get cold yeah. winters oh that's right you didn't yeah i was talking more panhandle west texas yeah. northern texas where you would get that's right houston i know the, our friends who showed up to dallas for college and houston from houston they didn't have coats they just had like a jacket yeah. and it got really cold and they were like hey where's your coat and like i don't have a coat yeah exactly yeah completely different worlds very different, but well, it, doesn't, dude, it doesn't get too hot here till like July and August. Really, you can still be in a jacket in June in Spain. Like you'll get some nice days, but it's July and August, and it's brutal. Just yet another reason to live in Europe. You know, much much better weather than uh, let's say the Texas Panhandle. No offense to the Texas Panhandle. No offense. May God bless it and its, it's barbecue a great, it's a great place. and its people. It's people are amazing. But the weather but, yes, leaves the weather. something to be lacking. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the greatest songs ever, uh, maybe a slight understatement, but a song I like, uh, mm-hmm. Robert O'Keefe Jr. Love of Lands. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. About, yeah. That's also great. Amarillo Highway. Although he didn't write Amarillo Highway. That's right. Terry, oh, what's his name? Terry Allen. Terry Allen yeah. wrote Amarillo yeah. Highway, but, yeah. uh, Robert O'Keefe sings. He's a lot of songs out there. I love, I love the, I love the Level Land, uh, song. Uh, so flat makes you wonder why they stopped there. Uh, must have had a wagon that broke down or lacked ambition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the, I forget exactly how it goes. So anyway, that's a loose translation. Yeah, hey, so you, you guys got to go outside yesterday. First time since I think like March 13th, uh, we were able to go outside with kids, I, you know, for, for non uh, travel to, the hospital or the doctors or to the grocery store. So yes. So in, in Sweden, there's a great tradition of um, it's called kuslap, which cow release, cow release. release. The, the, the releasing of the cows. <laughs> yes. And uh, in, so it's when you, you let the cows go for the first time out into the field after being cooped up all winter. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, they literally, you've never seen so much joy on an animal. They mm-hmm. jump all the way out in the field and they're just so excited. They can't, Wow, interesting. It's actually become this really cool tradition in Sweden that uh, local dairy farmers will throw this big festivities thing. And you come, you know, all the all the city folk come out and have a they grill hamburgers and which is 
a very ironic yeah. meal to have out at a, <laughs> out of a anyway, uh, gotta, I guess you got to get rid of those uh, <laughs> old dairy cows somehow. So anyway, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, so we go to it every year and uh, I could just, I had this sense yesterday when I heard that y'all got to go outside, I had this sense that everyone in Spain was like the cows being released once they got fresh air, you know? <laughs> yes. They, 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 um, they compared it to three Kings day, which is like the, the big day. In yeah, Christmas. Yeah. And you get gifts and you go out and there's a big parade and it's like the kids day, you know? So they, they compared it to that um, in the local newspapers. So uh, it was, I think for a lot of people, it's a, it's a sense of the end is in sight. Things are getting better. Uh, little by little, yeah. we're, we're getting to back to normality. So, yeah. Oh, don't go back to normality. You got to pivot, my friend. <laughs> I'm, I'm pivoting to try to find a good vacation deal. It's, it's going to be my <laughs> my pivot. You know, I got. Uh, I need to go somewhere and and relax a little. This that's a uh, not necessarily that phrase because during this time there was a need to pivot and you know every, everything else. But uh, you and I both read an article today. You actually sent it to me, uh, the Carrie Newhoff article, and and uh, it it was. Pr- provoking for you. Um, nothing against Kerry Newhoff. I think, uh, some of his stuff that I I've read and, and, and listened to over the years has been, has been really good. I think he's a good leader. Uh, the article left something lacking, uh, but it kind of talked about, uh, you gotta, you know, this is the new normal and and everything. And of course you and I have already done a whole podcast on is Mm -hmm. is everything going to be, uh, the same or is it going to be different? Um, have you have you changed your mind on that? Do we need to do we need to set in for the permanent change? I, you know, I I don't think so. I, you know, I read another article which is written by a friend of mine. It, it's in Christianity Today. Uh, a guy named Marcos Zabata from Lugo, a small town in in Galicia, and he he had a he actually got it and almost apparently was quite sick. Uh, oh. he, he did con- contemplate the end of his life uh, while he had coronavirus. Uh, it was pre- so it was pretty serious, but he, he got through it, got over it, and so he had like kind of six things he said uh, were what the church needs to be focused on for after this, and they were pretty much you know serve people, people need help right now, mourn with people, people are going through uh, you know bad times, people have lost family members, friends, or they've lost things, they've lost graduation, they've lost the future. Uh, we need to be there to mourn with people. Uh, he talked about community. Um, he talked about. Um, we need to be humble. He, he, he talked about these things that as leaders, uh, I think it's easy in the kind of the business mindset of like, well, we got to, we got to figure things out. Whereas he's saying, no, I think what he's saying is he's saying, no, we go back to what the church has always been. And that's what's going to, you know, uh, we need, we need to step up and, and do those things. Do you, do you think cheeky question? Do you think we know what the church has always been? That is, that's a very dangerous question. Um, well, I think we know. I think we know the core values. Of, are you a, are you a home church guy? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think we know the core values of what Jesus, you know, called us to do, which is you know serve the least, uh, cry, weep with those who are weeping, uh, build community, love people, share the gospel, tell people the good news. So that's why that's why I think when when I hear all the you know I think there certainly could be strategies and things we need to do we need to be online we need to be doing those things obviously but at the end of the day the core of who we are love god love your neighbor has not changed in 2000 years yeah and so you know we can try to reverse engineer or future engineer some kind of amazing thing and and some of that's really good stuff i'm not saying it's not um, but when it comes down to it our you know, the people of God are going to be the people of God and we have to 
go back to the core values of what what Jesus did, how he lived his life. And so, know. I I would I would agree with that. I would you know the idea of mission and and telling people about the good news of the once and coming King, um, I think is a huge center central piece of that. Um, making disciples as we go along and fulfilling the great mission great commission as an act of obedience in, the, in every moment rather than, uh, you know, a certain amount of water to be filled or to be put into a bucket. Um, those are two different ideas. So I, I, I agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm on board with you. Mm-hmm. And I only ask the question as a cheeky question to kind yeah, of, because yeah. there's always those people out there that goes, well, what's the church always done? And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people out there today who, who, you, you kind of, I don't want to say you land in one of two camps. I, I know a lot of people who um, question the current, you know, church that we have. And I use the word church loosely, but I would say the Christianity as a whole kind of like, no, we've, we've lost our way. We need to go back to, mm-hmm. and then pick your camp, right? It could be the Anabaptists. It could be the Moravians. It could be the brethren. It could be mm-hmm. Catholic. It could be Orthodox. It could be, I mean, you literally pick your pants, Jew, pick your pants. Yes. <laughs> you one should always pick their pants. <laughs> <laughs> or have someone pick them for or them. have someone pick their <laughs> pants for them. Uh, hopefully someone who is not colorblind. Anyway. Um, you know, Jewish roots movement. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with yeah. that, but you know, everyone's got their, everyone's got their thing that they mm-hmm. want to go back to. Um, so I, you and I have both been reading uh, Stefan Poss mm-hmm. and um, I, it's, it's really interesting to me. His so far the, so I'm on a second book of his called Pilgrims and Priests. Um, and so far, it's like the guy's been in my head for the last 13 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that he describes or that he uh, has gone through, I think, would be my experience in Sweden to a, to a large measure. Um, there's always differences. You know, he's been in the Netherlands. Sweden and the Netherlands have a lot of overlap, but not necessarily yeah. the same thing. Um, but anyway, all, all that to say, he talks a lot about church planting and the need for churches and the need for doing this in difficult soil. I I've really been wondering lately if what I would say is in general in Europe, at least with the people that I talk to. And so this would be, uh, you know, agape people, crew people, um, some missionaries outside of that. And in general churches in Sweden. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm somewhat limited, but have a, have a general uh, overview and everyone knows that something's amiss, right? Everyone knows we're, everyone has in their idea kind of what in their head, an idea of what they would quote unquote like to see happen Mm -hmm. and whatever that might be, we're not necessarily seeing it. Right. So Churches are empty. In many cases, churches are being converted into, you know, skate parks, nightclubs, restaurants, whatever, in yeah. some cases. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And so people say, you know, okay, the church is dying or Christianity is dead, uh, all these different things. So everyone knows that something is amiss. But in, insofar as I can tell, there doesn't seem to be an identification of what the problem is, at least agreement on what the problem is. Do you have a sense, am I wrong on that? Or do you, 
would you would you agree with that statement that that people can't aren't necessarily or at least the people I know there isn't much agreement on what the problem is. Yeah. Well, well, a couple, a couple of things. So what we're, we're, I think, you know, historically, so it's a little bit, we're out of context, I think, as, as a people of God in that historically we are in a time period that has seen in, in some sense, maybe, maybe you can say the fulfilling of the great commission or coming very close to it in the sense that, there is no, there are very few places in the world where there is not a church. There are actually very few places in the world where the church is not experienced in the last hundred years, incredible growth, South America, Mm -hmm. Africa, Asia, uh, you know, in the, the gospel has in, you know, lack of a better word, it it has worked. It has gone around the world. It has raised up indigenous churches of all kinds. So you're seeing that. And that's kind of becoming, I think in most cases, in most places in the world, the standard idea, right? Go to India, do this, boom. I, you know, we've got three or four new churches within a year. Now, and, and what that's messy still. I'm not saying right. that's perfect right. models or whatever, but what you're seeing is growth generally. Uh, if not in the university setting, then in the slum setting. If not in the slum setting, then among government people, you know. So uh, what we're seeing in Europe is, is not that. So it's something totally different. The problem is we, I think, and I think what Paz brings in is he said that what we bring in from the U.S. or from South America and what is our mental image, how ministry, how mission works, the assumption is that's just going to dump it into Europe and it'll work. What, that do, you, what do you think that? What do you think that, that? What do you think that that idea that is taken from, by and large, American, um, American evangelicalism? Mm-hmm. what is that idea that that we're trying to take? Well, American evangelicalism and probably Poss would seem to argue a connection to Anabaptist movements of long, long ago. Mm-hmm. What, what do you, how would you define this is what people are, are assuming Mm-hmm. that we should be seeing or that we would hope to see, right? Where maybe, maybe the one way to put it is what, what is their success criteria? Yeah. I mean, I think numbers is a big thing. And I think he points us to, and we, you and I have talked about this a lot, is like the modernist world we live in, which has said you can engineer your future, you can engineer success, right? If you do enough of this strategy or enough of this, uh, you know, whatever it is, X, it will produce, we, we can control that. And so that had very much imbibed into American missionary and church planning thinking. And then, which then got filtered out into other cultures as well as they saw growth and well then, okay, if you do this and then everyone brought their own, you know, their own flavors. So then that's, I think that's all good stuff. I don't want to criticize that necessarily. It, it got us from zero to where we are now yeah. effectively. Right. Um, but it, it's, but the problem is it has its downside too. And what it, it has its weaknesses, everything does, but what now is you're seeing it, those exposed even more so even within our own organizations, what do you do uh, to reach students in, in Western Europe? Well, what we do here is not is in, in all these other contexts, which kind of works or works pretty good. It's not working here. You know, we can, we right. just have to be honest. It's not, it's, it's not that it's not, it's not devoid of value or it's not devoid of functioning at some level, but it's not doing what people want it to do. And so right. that, 
so that is the I think the big the big question. Part of that is because we we come at it with a cultural assumptions ourselves and and societal assumptions that we think we've you know which are which once again not bad, but that there's more to it than that. And I, I think not to belabor the point, but if you go back to the older uh, you know the early church, I don't think they you know they weren't necessarily talking about strategies and you know. Like we're, we can figure this out. They were just trusting in God and going. And then yeah. 200, year, 200 years, sometimes I didn't see, I don't, you know, they were getting, a lot of them were getting killed, you know? Right, I don't think right. that, that's not what or, we would you know, say is success. Poss, Poss makes the point that in, you know, in Corinth, that there was one house church, you know, yeah. of, this, of this massive city. And there, there are a small, small number of people. And it's important to remember that, that, yeah. that what, what, you know, obviously well, maybe not obviously. I don't know if Paul would have, but certainly Paul would have preferred to have more numbers in a place like Corinth. Um, I assume that he would have wanted that, but he doesn't. Since he wouldn't have considered Corinth a non-success or a, a you know, a failure, simply because it had forty to fifty people. Yeah. Um, the mission of the church was was to keep going. So I think I think one of the things that I that that is always this tension that I think we've we've got a we've got to hold is or at least this is where I struggle oftentimes is where is, is um, there, there's three things that kind of come up. There is this sense of, okay, there are, for lack of a better way of saying it, there are methods and modes of engineering mm-hmm. that, or principalizing that we want to take and learn from and apply. Right. Yeah. So if, in general, do this, you see a modicum of success. Like, so when, when we say people are relational, that's a principle statement. It's in general, this is a statement about people and the way they work. And then that guides kind of what we do or how we talk to people, right? We want to create opportunity for relationship to blossom. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but then there's the tension of, okay, well, what is me being wise so I read or hear a person in Manila who has created this really great opportunity for relationship and, you know, we, we created this event or we did this or we're using this app or whatever else. And so there's the tendency for me to want to go, well, I want to be wise with my time. I want to do what's, what works. So I'll try that, adapt it to my Swedish setting and, and see what happens. Yeah. And it does or it doesn't work. So sometimes... I'll be honest, I can feel the, the tension of, well, is that wise for me to, I want to be wise, so I want to have a good idea. And so I, I, I want to listen to people and what they're doing, and maybe even I could try it, best practices, so to speak. But then there's the tension of, yeah, but that doesn't always work. And yeah, it's, it's a, I hate being the refrain of, I think one of the difficulties of being a missionary in a place like Europe I think that there are other places in the world that are like Europe yeah. in the sense that what works somewhere doesn't always work there. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, but, but oftentimes I can't tell you how many times I have felt, I almost feel guilty when I say it because Sweden is a really, every place is unique, but Sweden is a very odd place. It's a very yeah. unique place. And so I yeah. can't tell you how many times I've been talking to someone and they would say, something like, well, have you tried X or something? And my first thought is, I, 
Sweden's different, you know, I, I, I don't, I sound cynical when I say it, but it just seems different. And so there's that tension, right? There's that tension of here's a best practice. And it's like, well, yeah, but people aren't necessarily responding to that. Yeah. Um, Well, I, I think too, there's a, there's an element of there in that as, as Christians, and as, like I said, as Christians who've, who've experienced missions and church growth in our situation in the United States, where we're coming from over the last hundred years, there's a lot of reasons to be positive, optimistic, hopeful. That, so we want things to work. We, 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 we hear that something worked there. That, that may be the thing, but that's coming with an American mentality that we can, there's the code to be unlocked, number one. Right. And, then, and then I think a good part of that, which is hope. We want to, we want, and we want to see good things happen. I think that's what's, you know, really, so I, I feel some way, sometimes I'd tell people, but this is not going to work in Spain. And you kind of get this, oh, well, yeah, you're, but you're probably doing it wrong or you probably don't know what you're talking about or, and, and so you're, you're, you're kind of stuck between those two, those two worlds and you, right. You don't, you, I want to stay open and fresh to be able to change. And, but I also know I can't, myself and in my team i can't keep throwing stuff at them that doesn't work because they're gonna then you know they're gonna they're gonna burn themselves out as well because they're like well here's another so i think in europe we get caught in that little bit of a dial uh dialectic you know that tension what you're saying yeah yeah and so it's it's that that really trying to figure out so i think and trying to figure out well what is what do i need to principalize and try and principles i think are good engineering movement or growth or whatever else is actually very hard. And I think actually probably a bad idea. So principalizing is, I think is okay. Like people are relational. Okay. Then let's focus on that. But you know, one of the things that, that, that Paz has has kind of said is, and this is something I have felt very acutely here in Sweden. And that's, he, he went to Amsterdam and to be a church planner. And when he was there, he realized, well, wait a second. All these people have pretty good lives and are pretty happy without Christ. What is the unique quote unquote selling point? He didn't use that term. That's my term. But what is the unique selling point of Christ? Now, this isn't a crisis of faith. So I'm not offering it as a crisis of faith, but rather what do you do as a missionary? And this is what, this is where I've, I've really thought about this a lot is what do you do when you, you walk into a situation? So you walk in and you say, Hey, Jesus is here to help your misery. He forgives you from your sin. And someone says, but I'm not miserable. Yeah. And then you spend all your time trying to convince someone that they are in fact miserable or Essentially what Poss says is what he found was people in Amsterdam were experiencing a mode of the kingdom without the king. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that that's what we, I think that that's what we experience a lot in Europe is that Europeans by and large, specifically in the North where yeah. things are a lot more wealthy, but there's pretty, people are living pretty good lives and, to be honest, social justice is actually at the forefront of a lot of people's minds and they're experiencing some of these things without actually, so they're experiencing a little bit of the kingdom without the king. And I think what, what's hard with a lot of the ideas of what, when we think, okay, I'm going to come in there. I mean, I had this idea, right? I mean, the first time I went overseas was, well, I mean, it's not working there yet, 
because I haven't gotten there. It's <laughs> yeah, really, is really what I thought. Yeah. And I, you know, of course I was, I was quickly, uh, rem- I, that notion was quickly removed from my head, but I think there's the difficulty there of, well, then how do you help people see their need for the King if they feel like they have the kingdom? Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things. It's a very difficult uh, question because I, I think as we see more and more in secular society, uh, the default is not to move towards any type of religious experience or anyone that could be defined. So I, I think I, I may have been past. I can't remember who I, or it could be Taylor, but you know, it was kind of a definition of secularism of, of people realizing they could leave faith and leave uh, the church and it didn't affect them negatively at all. Yeah. It, made, it made no difference in their life. And you know, that, that obviously says a lot about, uh, I think a deeper question, which you might get into is it was really how Christian was Europe to begin with. You know, obviously it had a Christian culture. Obviously there were many believers, people who really followed Jesus, but how Christian was it when people were able to make that shift so quickly and so easily. And so maybe, you know, I think even Paz mentioned it, uh, you know, talking about how Luther, Calvin, even going back to early popes, they all had, written about how we understand not everyone here is a Christian just because you're a member of a church does not make you a follower of Jesus. So there was an understanding of that for a long time. Um, that, there's no, and then there's a whole other discussion there about what, what's a Christian society and is that really what we're, we're, we're needing to do and build up or is it to just simply be faithful uh, and, and trust that God, I think, I think that's the, you know, oftentimes we in modern thinking we've left out, the Holy Spirit and God, as far as like God does builds movements, God builds his church, God builds the kingdom. We are here in our time to be a part of that, but that does not necessarily necessitate, necessitate that we will have success or, or what we think is success, that there was going to be mass movements, which I think the mass movement thing is going to generally be in the, in the long march of 2000 years of church history. I think it's the, Exception, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. That would be another question to go into. I think it's a st- statistical aberration. Um, yeah. So, you, so here's, here's, where I'm, here's where I'm at right now. In some sense, it feels like it, there, there's a parallel to this in America, but it feels like what we're, we maybe, maybe some people have woken up to this. Maybe some people haven't. But Europe has left Christendom. So Christendom is dead. Um, in some sense, what Christendom did was it subsidized the Christian faith. So if you think of the airline industry or whatever else, in Europe for a long, and in America as well, those were subsidized for long periods of time. But Well, if I'm not correct, is, I mean, wasn't it almost automatic for a long, many years in Sweden that and maybe still to some degree is that when you were born, you just yeah. automatically became a member yeah. of the, you were automatically, that's just something you got like a passport right. Right. and a membership in the, in the Swedish church. Right. And so, you know, right. Yeah. So who, who actually were, and this becomes a, a definition of, you know, how do you want to define a, I, I realize that we have people who listen who are from all sorts of faith and, mm-hmm. or all sorts of the spectrum of the, the Christian faith, but how do you want to find who is a believer and, and everything else? Yeah, um, yeah. But, but yeah, so how do you get that? So, so Christianity was in some sense subsidized, but it wasn't just members of the church. It was uh, schools taught, you know, 
religious courses and educated people. And so it was subsidized, right? So your whole society had a familiarity with the Christian faith, a level of, a level of familiarity. Well, that subsidy is gone now. Um, There is some education in some senses, you know, some countries are by and large still Catholic, you know, Italy, Spain, but I would still argue the subsidy itself is, is gone, but I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure that I as a missionary and I'm not sure necessarily that there are many Christians who realize that subsidy has gone. And so what you then have is you have a culture war that ends up happening because Christians. And so I think this is in some sense what you have happening in the U S right now where the subsidy of just familiarity with the Christian worldview has disappeared and you have the happy pagan, the happy agnostic secularist showing up and going, I don't need God. I don't want God. And so by and large, the society is removed from that. And so what ends up happening is Christians who once had some kind of position of, of power within society think we're losing that. And by rightfully so they are, they're losing that power or they're losing that position, the influence and the perception that we're a Christian society. And so then you go into panic, but you still have this thought of an idealized Christendom in which so many people were believers but even, like you said, even Luther and popes and, and different people recognize, yeah, it's probably only around 5%, 10%. I mean, a lot yeah. of the Dutch reformers, right? This is what yeah. Boss brings up. It's like 5 10% maybe. So not all that far from where we are today. In Sweden, we're about 1%, 2%. So it's, you know, five or six times more. But I think it's, I think it's interesting um, that – that we find ourselves in that position. So misidentifying what the problem is. So mm-hmm. I think when I first came to Sweden, I thought what people need is an awakening. We need an awakening of people to the Christian message. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I actually think that it's not possible to awaken people to something that they're dead to. So, so I'm not saying that we we would never see numbers in Europe. I pray that we do see numbers, but I'm not sure that we need to see an awakening because that assumes a certain amount of once being awake, right? You, you've fallen asleep, but now you need to be awake to it. And I actually yeah. don't think that in where, where we are today that you, you face that. Um, Paz says, I'm going to actually read part of this in his book, uh, Pilgrims and Priests. He says, um, you face a decreasing demand speaking of people's interest in the Christian message, regardless of how inventively or creatively you wrap it, there are many people who simply do not find the product all that interesting. Mm -hmm. My impression is that mission minded people often do not really dwell on this, but in Amsterdam, this reality will hit you inevitably. We had come to Amsterdam to contribute to mission in that city to try to plant new churches. And while we did that, I soon noticed that all dreams about mass conversions were based on thin air. While Christianity certainly continues to prove itself as a vital life option to some people, sometimes with high-profile conversion stories by leading authors and thinkers, these stories are a far cry from so-called people movement. Rather than a continuing continuing stream, we saw drops here and there, beautiful drops to be sure. I 
I entered that typical faith crisis that comes with radical, a radical change in life. Only if you become a real minority will you find out how much your faith is intertwined with your social context, how much it depends on plausibility structures that affirm this faith. You ask yourself the question, what it actually means to trust in God, to believe in Jesus and his kingdom, when virtually nobody shares this faith or is even vaguely interested in it. You start to wonder whether it is really worth your time to invest so much in one seeker who knocks on the front door while so many others leave through the back. These questions hit you with double strength when you notice that people can really be happy without religion and that they do not need God either to care deeply about their fellow humans or to give charity. In most of them, you do not find this sense of emptiness or the vague sense of guilt that can be found among non-believers or ex-churchgoers in a more religious area. In Amsterdam, faith has nothing to do with doing the decent thing or following tradition. If you want to go to religion, you are absolutely free to do as you like, but it is purely a matter of individual appeal. And this appears to happen only to a few. I mean, it's like he, he, he has summed up my 12 years of life in Sweden. <laughs> and it's a profound. Yep. Now he's, he's thought about this a lot, and, and uh, you know, obviously he's a he's a professor of missiology in in, in, um, in Holland, in the Low Countries. Uh, so he's in a place where I think there's a good balance between that there is church and there's stuff going on, but then there's this history behind it, and then there's this creeping secularism that's, you know, uh, it, it, we're not really sure where all that goes. And so mm-hmm. I think I think what 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 he's being very interesting in, 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 in he's trying to call people to is an awareness of what's really going on, but in, in that awareness to, to maybe to pivot to faithfulness, I think to pivot to, yeah. we don't give up, which I think some people would give up. We don't, um, we don't try to figure out what, you know, although I think we need to be ready for change someday because that could happen, but we need to be faithful and present. And look for those beautiful, what is it called? Beautiful drops. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a flood of people, but there are beautiful drops. Yeah. But the beautiful drops in people's lives are being changed and, and we have to be present and and work through theologically and reflectively what all this means, which can't be done. I don't think in in the course of a, of a month or a short training, I think it's, it's kind of a, you know, but, but once again, we get back to that very quick. We need answers. We need solutions. We need, numbers yeah well yeah and we we have a narrative that we've told ourselves that if it's successful if it's good if it's right it will produce a flood of people or at least momentum in a certain direction so but it's interesting because when you read the new testament um recently we did uh we were reading uh hebrews for something and uh Oh, I know what it was. It was, it was on European meetings. Uh, we had uh, the form, the director in uh, Ireland uh, lead our devotional times, and he was reading from uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, 11 and 12. And you have this cloud of witnesses, right? Well, the Hall of Fame of Faith is there to encourage a, a very small minority of people who are facing the overwhelming odds that say, leave your faith. Yeah. It's easier to do this over here. And it occurred to me when he was reading that the person who's in a stadium filled with people doesn't need to hear that message. 
mm-hmm. because there's every reason to keep doing what they're doing. When everyone else is doing it, you just go along with it. It's to the people who are very few, who are on the minority of society, who find themselves in such an extreme low number of people whose, te- whose faith is tested mm-hmm. and whose faith, in, I don't want to say endures, but who, who but it becomes solid gold in some sense. And so, yeah. you know, I, I will be honest when Pa says, he says uh, later, he says, it's, it's not until you're in exile that you realize how it's not until you're in exile that your faith gets tested and proven yeah. to the point that you really begin to understand its worth. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the really cool opportunities that I think we have as Christians in Europe mm-hmm. among the community of believers that we are to really emphasize you're, you're not coming to church because you don't have anything better to do. Yeah. If, if you're looking for a social club, there, there's a good football team down the street or there's the, you know, underwater basket weavers of Northern Upland. I mean, there's, you know, whatever you want it to be, there's all those opportunities. You don't need to come to Jesus for just self-fulfillment or a program to fulfill your life. You're not looking to your church for that. You're looking to your church for life. And, you know, I've met a lot of people whose faith is different from mine, but I would say who cling to Christ in a way that I, I understood before I came because I was very fortunate to, to live in contexts where I felt a minority. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I would say this, in those contexts, I was a Westerner in a developing country where being American was a rock star. Yeah. And so I always felt, even though I felt like, well, everyone else sees things differently, if I'm honest in my heart of hearts, I looked at it and I was kind of like, well, that's because, you know, they're them, but I'm awesome. Because I'm I'm from Texas or I'm American, it just never <laughs> sat the same <laughs> way. But it but it wasn't until I got to Sweden where people were like, I don't I don't really care where yeah. you're from. Yeah, I yeah. think what you believe in is stupid. That it was kind of like, okay, my faith needs to kind of come down to what's the essential parts. Yeah. And over the last and over the last few years, the idea of the once and returning King has become so important to me. It's what I cling to because it's like, man, I am looking for that kingdom. It is in. So that picture of the cloud of witnesses standing up there going, Hey, we endured, you need to endure. Trust me. It's worth the wait." has become all the more important to me. But I think you miss that if you're, if you're in, if you're fighting the culture war or if you're trying to latch on to a sense of revival that maybe isn't, what we need to be looking yeah. for. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I think um, what you said there is of exile, which, you know, kind of pulls us back into pilgrimage at some point. And I think pilgrimage is such an important part of Christian life because we are really called to be exiles in, in this world. And, uh, but oftentimes, and, and I, I, like, once again, I, I don't want to criticize the fact that America has had a great, boom in church growth. That's a great, that's a great thing. That's, that's made huge uh, benefits. It's done great things for the gospel. It's, you know, it's, and you build hospitals, you have great organizations that are saving people's lives. That, that, that thing, you know, is, is a great thing. Um, but it, 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 the downside of that, I think, as you said, is this creation of a culture that where many things are a little bit too easy or where, um, that's just the norm, 
you know, and so we lose that sense of what God calls us to, which is to be an exile. Yeah. To be, this is not our, this is not our home. It doesn't mean we can't love Texas. Yeah. You know, Texas is a great place. We should, we should love our people and our home and our land, but it, it, it means we, we're not really from here. I mean, maybe we're all going to Texas eventually. I don't know, but, but we're not, we're not really <laughs> what's from Texas. What's the tech? What's that, right, what's that song? If, if uh, <laughs> when I die, I may not go to heaven. Just let me go to Texas. Just let me go to Texas. <laughs> Texas is as close as I've been. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, you ha- you have the- so out of this grows, you know, and so impostor lynching because he's kind of post missional, right? The post, yeah, the missional uh, movement, which I think was a great movement, and I think he's somewhat not totally critical of it, but he's certainly, I think, pushing back on some of the things there. Um, but you know, when, when the whole missional thing uh, that came out, you know, some some great thinkers in the eighties, nineties, and recently. Uh, they're latching onto that. Things have changed. We can't be the church like we used to be. And they use a term called liminality, right? Mm. Um, which means liminal is a liminal situation, which actually is a term that comes from cultural anthropology and is used in pilgrimage, actually. So we're trying to tie back. He, to okay. So, so I want you to hold that thought. I, uh-huh. every, every time we bring up pilgrimage, I, I think of the, um, which I'm all for. I love, yeah. I love the idea. It's been really important in my life for the last, uh, for the last year or so. But, um, <laughs> are, are you familiar with the comedian brian regan oh yeah of course yeah. okay so he's got a bit where he's uh talking about I, I even forget what the bit is but he starts talking about the the guy who uh the salesman who sells cranberry this is a number of years ago and he's like uh-huh. man that guy's having a heck of a year he's like he's like he's like i got cranberry what do you what, what you got Pork chops, call them cran chops. <laughs> what, what do you yeah, got? Orange juice, call it, crayon, call, it, yeah. call it, you know, cranberry and orange juice, like cran yeah. juice. <laughs> it was like cran apple, cran, cran apple. Yeah. He's yeah. like, what, what's the deal with cranberries getting in everything? Yeah, I feel was, like I remember that ocean spray. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's how, how we are with uh, pilgrimage. Like it's yeah, kind of yeah. like, you got a problem here? Let me talk about pilgrimage. <laughs> but it's kind of, it's kind of how we got this whole thing going. It is, though, uh, which is great. When but, you, when you have, Hundreds of kilometers to walk on the Camino de Santiago. Eventually, yeah. you're going to say, "Let's start a Eventually. podcast and talk yeah. about it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. I spent too much time up there. That's for sure. Um, but so so liminality, right? Is this yeah. this? It's leaving safety, what's what's comfortable, and going into a time of confusion, uh, uncertainty, chaos. But you emerge on the other side. And so as humans, we all go through liminality in our lives, right? You go to college, that's a big change, you know? So, but the, the goal is you, you, you emerge on the other side, changed deeper and, and prepared for the next challenge ahead. And so I think what I would say is, and that, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a term that got, got used a lot in missional terminology was the church needs to go through this, this liminal experience to then come out and be something better, you know? And some, I think some churches have done that, 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 but I think what we're seeing in Europe, by the way, we're kind of the laboratory yeah. for that. We are right. in a liminal, we do not, uh, you know, and, and obviously you, the early church would be a laboratory for this. You right. Know, what, 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 what are we doing with this? What, what, who, we had this guy, he was here, he died for us, he rose again, he's kind of left us on our own. What, Spirit what, was inside of me. What are we supposed to do <laughs> with this? Like it had to be a very... Uh, very strange experience. And so I think in some sense, Christians in Western Europe maybe are dealing with some of that as well. And I, but I think, so, so I, what I would say is like, hey, that's probably a positive because we, we can now emerge at some point on the other side, or maybe we have emerged or we're emerging, but we're growing 
uh, as a church. I think there's some, I don't know, I think within that, there's some very interesting things that are happening in Europe. That oh, I think there's fascinating gra- things. That groundbreaking. Are groundbreaking yeah. as far as our, how we, we do mission and how we conceive of ourselves. And so, I, so we have, a, I mean, so I don't want to, we have a lot to learn from South American Christianity. We have a lot to learn from African Christianity. We have a lot to learn from even our, our friends in America and Asia everywhere. But I think in Europe, there's something going on that I don't know has ever happened before in the history of the church, which is a D, a collapse of the church. Well, it, you had it in North Africa. I mean, yeah. Tunisia, right? So I've been to... Um, would it have been, would it, was it a violent collapse, though? Or that's, I mean, because I know this collapse. Yeah, it's, I, I don't it's know. Been, this is just people like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been I've been to Julian's church where he did baptisms, which is one of the coolest places I've ever been. Uh, it it was and Carthage is so cool the way they would do it. So they would have they had it was it was under or at least where I went it was underground. But the baptismal the person would come down, so everyone would be down in the base, and the person would come in from behind them and walk in with black robes. And they would walk down into the water, but the baptismal was behind a wall. So they would walk down into the water and then they would come out and they would have white robes. Oh, that's so cool. And so they would have, it was this beautiful transition into Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, what, what the idea of um, being baptized in Christ does for you. Um, Uh, Yeah. So I don't know. I, you know, a buddy of mine, uh, Michael Meditol, he knows he's looked at kind of the collapse of, uh, the church around the world. And what he would say is, <clears throat> or not the collapse, but in, in situations where the church existed and now doesn't at present exist, what he would say is where the church eventually dwindles to a certain point, basically it, we haven't seen a situation in which it comes back. Mm-hmm. So he would offer, he would offer, I think probably Turkey, North Africa as examples mm-hmm. of this. Now that by and large was due to, Islam and the killing of Christians or just the freezing them out of society. And that isn't happening in Europe. But I, I would agree with you that we are the laboratories of, of rethinking and trying things and looking at things. If we're, Mm -hmm. if we're aware of it, sometimes I fear that some leaders aren't aware of it and they're just trying, hoping for the the next great revival. And there's nothing wrong with numbers. There's nothing wrong with revivals. And I pray every day that we would see one in Sweden but I think that we can put our hope in, okay, well, maybe if I could just find the next great method, or maybe if yeah. I could find, instead of saying, well, no, I'm on, this, I'm on this journey, or I'm on this pilgrimage, and it is what it is, and it will be sweet, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I, think that we, I think that sometimes we get confused by the pursuit of numbers, in order totally. to justify ourselves versus saying, are we remaining faithful to what he's called us to? Yeah. So the, the, the exercise for the missionary or the exercise for the Christian doesn't change. It's, it's still, no, I make Jesus known in everything that I do. But I don't think that there should be a sense of loss if in the exercise of making Jesus known, no one responds. I yeah. mean, we mourn that. I think there's a difference between mourning and feeling unsuccessful. And yeah. as an American, I'm driven to try to find success, right? We went, yeah, we went numbers. Well, and, and so, okay, so here's a, you know, you have the, the parable of the lost, the lost sheep, the, one, the shepherd who leaves the many to go for the one. And you have, you have consistently in the, in the New Testament, and probably you can play it out in the Old Testament as well, but you have the, the elevation of the small, the tiny. Israel, for example, 
the tiny, yeah. not really yeah. worth Which it. Is, yeah. Why would you pick Israel there? Yeah. yeah. But, but the, that God uses the, the small things, the guys that God goes after his love is, is so amazing that he even goes after the one little guy out there who's probably not that important. Um, and, and I think those clash with a lot of our models of how we, we think about ministry, at least in the, in the United States, you know, where we do want to have, and, and once again, numbers are great. Influential people are great, but that, that, and that's part of the history of the gospel, but the, the last will be first. Yeah. Is, 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 you know, and, and so I, I think in Europe, you have to learn to, that the last is first that these, you know, the strange people who are showing up at your door are, you know, those are who you're called to sometimes or the, you know, that's not, uh, that's not always how it works, but, but, but you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, like, I don't know, man. We've had our share of pretty strange they, people come yeah. through our doors. <laughs> no. And and so I think, I think you look at that and I think that it helps us maybe focus a little bit, bring a little bit of that perspective. And I, and I think too, you're, you're dead on about numbers. Uh, and so I, I wonder if, is, if we really, are we really measuring the right stuff when it comes to missions? It's great to have numbers. Obviously it's fun fundraising and helps people get excited about things. And, and, and some, and it is sometimes that we're seeing God do great things and you want to be a part of that. Um, but we're still supposed to call to go after the, the little guy, right? If, or maybe that's Europe in this, in this case. And people have the metaphor. Yeah. But, yeah. But I think, you know, it's interesting that the, the drive for, I want to be careful. I don't want to paint too broad of a brush, right? Because I can, I can, well, I just don't want to paint too broad, broad of a brush, but the, the drive to see big things. uh, That's a really broad brush. So I'm breaking my own rule, but the drive to see big things, if that rules the day, we actually miss out on a lot of things. It's just occurred to me, but we miss out on a lot of things like lament. Yeah. It's really hard to lament if what you're going is, okay, well that didn't work. What do we try next? Yeah. yeah. Because versus I just lament on where society is. And maybe you can do both things at the same time, or there's people within the community of believers who can, right? So maybe yeah. some people are called to thinking about the next thing. I don't know. I, I, I guess I would need to think that through, but I, but I do think that we, it's possible that's maybe a better way to say it. It's possible we miss out on things important to the, walk of the Christian mm-hmm. to the Christian life. If, if we allow our perception to be some form of Christendom mm-hmm. or some, some form of just numbers, um, we, we, we cheapen it to some extent or it's possible to cheapen it. I don't know. I, I'm really, this is literally me verbal processing today. You, you're getting, <laughs> well, I'm changing my too. mind in between <laughs> my sentences. I think too, you miss out on this, the individualization of people's stories and who people are in relationship. Once again, I know that's not the intention, but when, when you want to have the 10,000 or 30,000 foot view where you're saying, look at all this amazing stuff that's happening, you miss out the story of, you know, whoever, you know, I mean, I think one thing that I've really loved about an organ, a, a movement like alpha is it's very focused on people's stories, very focused yeah. on people. It's, it's, so yeah, they got a bunch of alpha places. I mean, uh, courses running all over the world. But when I think of the alphas I've done, I think of people whose lives have been transformed 
and changed and went from walking into a place of like, I don't want to be here to in a year they're leading alpha. Right. And, and, and how that they totally changed their life or, you know, whatever it is. And so I think that's, I think it's gotta be hard for leaders at that level because they're not, you know, so, so I, 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 in some sense empathize with them, they're, you know, but that's, that's unfortunately the, the waters we swim in, in, in a modernist American world where, you know, we can, we can engineer all this to where it's going to come out per- perfect, you know, right. that, but the God's God, you can't engineer God. That's the thing. You, God's not controllable in that way. Right. Yeah. And you, you can't frustratingly so. <laughs> that's right he will he will not be controlled he will not be controlled. That, that ultimately is the lesson that god teaches job isn't it mm-hmm. yeah. where where were you job when i yeah. you know job learns that lesson and, and actually that interestingly enough is i think the lesson of my life right now is is um, my desire for control uh you know, coronavirus COVID has a, has a way of bringing that out of like my world's out of control or I was supposed to make these decisions and I can't any longer, or, you know, my kids are loud and I I want control. There's a certain amount of, we desire control. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in, in that way, that's the paganist bet, isn't it? It's the, uh, let me create a pantheon of gods that I worship so that I can control my life. I hedge my bets. And that was, of course, what was unique about the God of Israel was that he said, I am, I am, I am one. You only have one allegiance, but you owe me all your allegiance. Um, And so there's a, there's a, there's a catcher, but then he's, he's different. The, the cool thing about that though, and I did a talk on this one time, but the, the great I am, uh, Glenn Kreider actually pointed this out to me again. So there you Glenn Kreider. Glenn, Glenn Kreider. Legend. Making, Legend. making another making another appearance in the podcast. Um, but you know, when when God presents himself to Moses, he says, I am the Lord your God. And then he goes on gracious and kind, and he goes, and that's how he choose chooses to define himself. God could have chosen to define himself however he wanted in whatever method and whatever way. And he goes mm-hmm. and he says, I'm gracious and kind and I'm full of loving kindness and uh, mm-hmm. which I'm butchering the, the verse in, in Exodus, but, but that is what God points out. So I tell people all the time actually here, you know, cause a lot of people are like, well, what well, kind of the journey that I go on with uh, you know, the secular happy pagan or happy agnostic, let's call sweet is that, you know, the first question you got to ask is, is there a God? And if there is a God, is he communicated? And if he has communicated, what did he communicate? And actually there's a lot of ground to be covered in those, right? So the Mm -hmm. first question of, is there a God? I mean, that's a discussion in and of itself. But once you start to getting into the idea that, okay, well, I'm going to say that there is a God. We, God did not necessarily in all the possible worlds where all the possible gods could have existed. This is a little bit of a philosophical experiment, but God did not have to be kind. God could have actually been exactly how like Dawkins describes him, you know, a just mean, spiteful curmudgeon yeah. that just wanted to zap people, what people in some sense imagine God to be, uh-huh. but that's actually not the God of the Bible. And yeah. he describes himself as something different. In my life, actually, what that what that produces is a sense of fear, because the first rule of tanks is to know 
where I stand in relation to that tank. Is he, is he on my team or is he not on my team? Once I decide that he's on my team, I can breathe a sigh of relief. But if, but if he's not on my team, I'm in trouble. Yeah. And so when it comes to God, God could have, God could have been really mean, but he's not, he's loving. Um, and that's not who he presents himself to be. And that's why revelation of course is, is so important. Um, I, we've gone way far afield on that one, but mm-hmm. for, for me, what that has actually, the human endeavor of trying to control your life. Yeah. It comes down to the fact that, well, maybe you do want to try to control your life. If you've got a, if you've got a God who is mean and unkind, but we don't have that God. Yeah. He's kind and he's good. Mm-hmm. And he's in control and he has my best interest in mind. What I find, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this full circle. What I find is when I get caught on the numbers game or the sense of when my vision of what I want to see happen is I got to build my kingdom, whatever my kingdom is in my head, yeah. I get really discouraged really quickly. Mm-hmm. But when and I can't, I have to try to gain control more and more and more. But when the game isn't about the numbers, but it's about faithfulness to a God who is a rewarder. So again, eschatology becomes a part of it. Then I can relax and I can let control go mm-hmm. because the task isn't just, now I want to get the gospel to as many people as possible, but that's not the end game. The end game is making sure that all people who will, who are willing remain faithful to him. And that, mm-hmm. that to me, it seems that that's a very tangible difference to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's nice how you brought that around. That was well done. You like that? Well, just yeah, it's very good. We, we, rabbits rarely run in circles, but sometimes, <laughs> but sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes we do that. Oh man, there's so much. There's so much to think about, though. I, I'm I'm loving Pass. I yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he is. If you're, I think I would say this: if you're in working in Western Europe, you should probably be reading something of his at this point. I think more and more, I'm convinced he's one of the few people out there that's talking about these things. You know. I think uh, he's got some challenging the, stuff to say. Yeah. I, I don't agree every, with everything he says. He's got some but very challenging and very well thought through, very, very Dutch, uh, you know, <laughs> look at stuff and really analyze it and, and yeah. sort it out. So I think. Yeah, uh, yeah I think if you're, I, I would go so far as to say is if you're in the Western world, if you're in yeah. any context, which is becoming increasingly more secular. Yeah. Um, then you need to you need to really look at this book, and I think that actually applies to some good swaths of Africa and Asia yeah, and and sure. uh, you know places like Singapore. Um, I think I think you've I don't know I, I think there's a lot of wisdom there because what he's saying is look this is he's pointing towards these are the laboratories these are the places of innovation or these need to be the places of innovation we maybe yeah. haven't necessarily reached that um, but they are there. Yeah. So this might be another, um, the, the next podcast is, is cause you know, we've kind of talked about, Oh man, this is hard soil. You know, it's understandable. And, and, and I think we've, we've, you've, I've been around long enough to say we're a little bit jaded when someone shows up with, Ooh, I got the new thing that's going to solve all your problems. Usually we're tab. <laughs> and, and if you talk to most Europeans, they kind of, you know, I think what was it, Joe, who was on guests last week, or, uh, you know, I remember him talking about 
pastor in France who basically yeah. said, you need to be here about 10 years before we will take you seriously. So Europeans even have seen enough of this that they're a little bit, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Not so, not, not so uh, you know, struck by it, starstruck by anything. So, but, so, but it might be interesting to you know, have a conversation about what are the good things that are happening? What are, what are, what are we seeing? We, we touched a little bit on that last week too, I think when we talked about, you know, immigration and that you do have this something of an emerging multicultural church, people of God are looking very much like maybe they should, you know, things like that. Maybe talk about some examples. I think there, another thing I would say is I think that there's a, you know, depending on where you are, but there's a greater openness uh, to work across denominational boundaries in certain places, not everywhere. Yeah. Doors, there's doors that are open. Well, I mean, you've, you've experienced some of that, that are, in Spain, right? With uh, yeah. y'all doing stuff, uh, giving training to the Catholic Church, uh, lay people on how to share their faith. and Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've had doors open just because we are in, in, a, in a declining uh, context where, the, where Christianity is not in vogue anymore. We're allies now. We're not, yeah. we're not enemies. We're not competitors. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, you know, there's obviously things that there's some messiness and things to work through there, but there's a great opportunities that are um, being opened up that we, you know, a hundred years ago would not be possible at all. Was it was the unthinkable. And of course yeah, there's people who would, who, who get, when, when they hear that, they get pretty upset about that. You know, they, uh, yeah, 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 sure. You know, they want to go make their, uh, their Luther beer and curse the Pope. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but I mean, I do, I do agree with you. It really does open up. Um, you're, you're much more willing to tolerate uh, people's difference of opinion or confessional differences. Yeah. That's something Pass actually, Pass actually says. He said, he said conf- confessional churches or confessional faiths are not bad. The confessions themselves are not bad. So Augsburg or, or whatever you want to, Westminster, they're not bad, but they, they're contextual. So they were written to a time and a place that are trying to confess a certain thing for the context that they were in and need from time to time to be revisited in order to meet the challenges of the, of the particular context. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where I land on that, but I found it fascinating as a thought to think, huh, well, how then does that play out where we're at? One thing that I do think that where it, where it does play out is, is exactly what you said. You're much more willing to kind of go, well, you confess differently, but we're, we're in the same boat and we're just, we're just going to accept that. Um, which I think is a, is a really good thing. You, you start to, you you start to appreciate your family for what it is, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and the family of believers, uh, which I think is really important. I know my faith or my, my appreciation of the church in general has, has gone up since, since I've been overseas. I, I took it for granted when I was younger, you know, I mean, I guess you, you take everything for granted when you're younger, but um, all <laughs> relatively speaking, but yeah. like my son takes it for granted that uh, I will get him milk or whatever else. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he's hungry, <laughs> when he's hungry, yogurt magically appears. Food, from food the refrigerator. Appear. <laughs> yes. So, but anyway, so I do, I do think though, that's one area that, that I've grown up for appreciation. And I think when you have the perspective of it's okay that we're a minority or maybe just getting pushed to the margins of things can, it doesn't always, but it can produce in you an appreciation for other expressions of faith. 
Mm-hmm. It's Definitely. interesting to me that even within Agape, we have, like when we get together as Agape Europe, we have a really broad swath of faith. Yeah, yeah, we're a very eclectic group. Yeah. It's and rarely do the doctrinal issues come up, you know, at least to me, no one, no one, com- but I don't know why anyone would complain to me. I don't know. I complain to you. <laughs> well, it's a different type of complaining. My friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's something that, that is interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see where all that, you know, goes. Um, but it's, it's, uh, there's, there's definitely, um, the opportunity to influence and be influenced and now we're not talking about we're all going to join one big church and but to see the the task because the task is enormous in europe right the task of helping people know jesus there's so it does help you know because you know i mean what my national director nacho marquez he came and visited uh dallas with us um you know a few years ago and we figured where we were staying within, within a literally you could within almost walking distance, right? Within, but within driving distance, within a two minute drive of where we were, we could count about 15 churches, Gosh, you know, and, 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 you know, all of differing, all kinds of different, you know, you had Episcopalian and Anglican, you had Catholic, you had, uh, we had like two Episcopalian churches, you had, you know, several Presbyterian churches from different, you know, and, and I think that's great. But what, what people, sometimes you come to Europe and you're like, okay, well, I got like two, three choices tops, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unless I'm, unless I'm starting something myself, you know, which is, right. which often you feel like you kind of almost have to create your own church culture, you know, even in campus ministry, just so, cause you're like, where, there's no one, there's nowhere for anyone to go. So I right. think that, that lack of, you know, when you meet someone else who's like, oh, wait, hey, you, you read the Bible. Oh, you, you follow Jesus. Oh, you want to tell people about Jesus. You, you, you can't go, well, you, you, you have to go, okay, wow, we're all on the same team. Whereas right. Back then, you, in the States, you kind of pick who your teammates are because there's so many. Um, right. Yeah, you can. So, so interestingly enough, a buddy of mine was talking about all the, uh, actually it was a Dutch friend of mine, uh, was talking about all the, the different denominations that are in Dutch, uh, or that, that are in, not in Dutch, but in the Netherlands. Yeah. And um, and. <laughs> He was saying there, there are some denominations that are like, it was like the reformed church of Western such and such province based upon the disagreement of article nine dash 1.72. Like he was like, you know, it's like basically like we didn't like the color of the seats. Yeah. And so we created our own denomination, which still happens. I mean, that's the reason yeah. there's second Baptist church in and other cities and, yeah. and, uh, in America, but uh, I just yeah. thought that was yeah, it was pretty funny. It's it's one of the, it's one of the the blessings and the curses of, of Protestantism, right? It was this ability yeah. to go off and contextualize better, but then it was also this to, to break off and keep keep breaking off. I think Glenn Crider, the legend, he one time said, I think between two and like a hundred thousand, we've gone wrong. Right? <laughs> you, know, you know, like like between two churches, two denominations, and then like. The other hundred thousand. There's somewhere in there, something's not right. You know? Somewhere we missed the magic number. <laughs> magic number. So you know, but I, but I but I think that's what you know. To, to quote another DTS guy, Scott Harrell, I think he would say, trying to build unity around like Great Commission uh, Christianity. You know, a, 
a Christian that's saying we want to step out. We want to tell people about Jesus. That's what we're passionate about. We want to help people uh, know him, but also want to serve people. So they experience his love. Uh, That's where we can, I think, build unity and work together Um, because we're not competing for territory. You know, we're building the kingdom. That's hopefully, hopefully what's will happen. And it is happening. Yeah. Oh goodness. We, I'm just going to, let's just pause for a really long time and then not not cut it out. Uh, Garrick, Garrick is all, is all, we'll cut that out. You know, I love it on podcasts. How they're always like, we'll cut that out. They never do. They never do. They don't have time. Podcasts are, they're as lazy with their, their editing as I am. Um, Dude, uh, good chat with you. Have you seen? Good chat. Have you have you seen anything good recently that I can watch? Because I am. Uh, oh my! We are a little bit in the doldrums of uh, viewing. Yeah, we. You know, I, okay. So I watched the movie with my daughter, Paths of Glory, nineteen fifty eight. Kurt Douglas. It was one of Stanley Kubrick's first okay. movies. It's a very stylized kind of black and white. It's an, it's an older movie. Talk about World War One. Huh. And some stuff that happened in the French army. Uh, it was actually not well received in France or like much of Europe and military circles. This is just about corruption of leadership, but it was, it was a fascinating movie and well done and uh, a lot to talk about and think about. And so paths of glory. So I think it's like a classic movie. I, oh. I finally saw it. She had to watch it for assignment. So, uh, okay. Um, uh, hmm. it, was, it was, you know, it was a good movie. Uh, greatest, greatest West Anderson film. Oh man, that stuff. So Rushmore is my favorite. Filmed in Houston. Yeah. Uh, one of, is, is my favorite of his, but all of his. So if you haven't seen Rushmore, um, go see Rushmore. It's a great movie. Uh, it's a good flick. It's great. I saw it years ago in the, in the theater. I'm not sure I had the greatest appreciation for Wes Anderson then. I, I'm not yeah. sure that I was young. I'm not sure that my tastes had matured to, to what they what they should have been yeah Wes Anderson somehow struck a chord with me and a few friends it was kind of weird we were we must have been like his target audience target is the the (laughs) few hundred of us in those early days uh, you know what but 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 let's be honest if Wes Anderson could could make a career out of just a few hundred people, this podcast has a future. This is, yeah. <laughs> a, fu- a funny, so funny Wes Anderson story. What they made Bottle Rocket. And so the first movie, yeah. him and Wes, him and uh, uh, Owen Wilson did. And uh, they were testing it, screen testing it. And it was just going horribly. People hated the movie. And so it was so bad that when someone would write something good about, you know, because it's a screen test, they just bring in people. When someone wrote, uh, something really good about it, they would keep it just because they were so they, they'd lost they'd lost hope. And so yeah. there's probably an analogy here about hope and totally. being persevering in Europe, but they lost hope, and so they'd keep these. And then it was like finally they they, they Bottle Rocket wasn't as successful, but it was a very good movie. And then yeah. that kind of launched things for them. And he said like it was like six or seven years later that a party and this girl comes up, and she goes, I saw one, I was at one of your um, you know screenings back for Bottle Rocket, and that movie was just amazing. And I, I loved it. And he goes, I know who you are. <laughs> yes, he goes, I literally remember, because you were one of like a handful of people who wrote, I remember your comments. I know who you are. Thank you. Like you kept us going. So, wow. Uh, so, you know. But, uh, but honestly, honestly, that, that is a, a great, a great analogy for mm-hmm. what it means to do ministry in places in like Europe, Western yeah. Europe. You, yeah. you have. Hold on to little things. Yeah. You hold, well, you celebrate 
you celebrate everything that is is worthy of celebrating. You don't get overcritical and you just go, let's hold on to that. And there's nothing, there's nothing um, delusional about that because you're, what we're doing is worth it. Yeah. Like greatest in the kingdom will be the least of these that, that ultimately what we're doing is we're doing something for a king and he decides, you know, what his kingdom is going to look like. But he, what he wants is he wants faithful servants. He wants people who will, who will tell about him in all circumstances. Yeah. And then, because if, if you don't have that hold on to hope where hope is, hope on to the, you, you know, then I don't know why the New Testament was written. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's not a mega church in the New Testament. Nope. You know, it's 3,000 people on the, first, on the first day who came to Christ in Acts, and those people dispersed, you know, and... You know, I mean, it was the beginning of something, but yeah, that 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 goes on to something else that I, we don't have time to talk about it today. But it is something that I often think about is the the nature of movement. So that we, we we're writing this down. We will do a podcast on yeah. the nature of movement because we we tend to think even when we read books like uh, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which is in essence about movement. It's a it is a commercialized movement, but. Mm-hmm. It's movement nonetheless. And he tries to identify types of people who help movements start. Okay. And then business people take that and they say, okay, well, this is how we need to get our product out there is we need to, yeah. in some sense, astroturf movement. I, movement is so crazy rare on a grand scale. It's so crazy yeah. rare that to be able to plan for it, I'm just not sure you can. That doesn't say we don't principalize what a good movement is or anything else. But anyway, we need to get into that sometime. Is yeah, what, what exactly? The next yeah, I think this is. Let's just let's just let it be the next one, unless of course we're able to pull off the Grand Camino reunion. Yeah, that's, that's coming in which up. case uh, we'll we'll put that one in first. Yep. But anyway. Garrick, as always, um, I wish that you and I could enjoy some Spanish tapas or pinchos, depending upon yeah. which area of the country you're in together. Uh, I wish we could, uh, yeah, enjoy some time. But uh, until that time, you take care of yourself. You always, likewise, Barrett. Always great talking to you, buddy. Catch mm-hmm. you on the flip side. I learned something in the juice aisle, and that is I don't know what's going on with cranberries, but they're getting in all the other juices. <laughs> Whoever the salesman is for cranberries does a great job. He's showing up everywhere. Hey, what do you got, apples? Put some cranberries in them. We'll call it cran apple. Go 50-50. What do you got, grapes? How about cran grape? What do you got, mangoes? Cran mango. What do you got, pork chops? Cran chops. Why don't you back off, cran man? Why don't you take your sales trophy and have a vacation? He's working too hard. He's making the other fruit guys feel bad, you know? Like the banana guy wakes up. Man, I ain't into nothing. <laughs> Cram man's all coupled up. You gotta get cracking, banana man. <laughs> <laughs>